Can I listen to your podcast? Morning, Dario. How you doing this morning? Morning, man. I'm well. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. It's 2020 and it's season two of Middle School Music. How are you feeling about recording and doing season two now? Oh, man. Can't believe it. We had a second season already. I know it's crazy, isn't it? And we're back in our in our usual digs, thanks to the good people at Phoenix Court and Local Globe for giving us their, their little podcast studio to record season two from. Uh, apologies for the audio, maybe, in, in the last two episodes of season one, but hopefully this year we're, we're back at it and we're, we're going to do more episodes here. Um, Dario, how was the break? How was, uh, you spent some time in South Africa. Uh, how did music kind of interact with you in South Africa? Yeah, it was great. You know, for me, I, I love it because I always associate music with memories. Um, you know, being there, it was it was cool to see that they've actually released an, a new MTV channel which just focuses on music videos or the top hits. And what was different this time around, though, was I didn't really understand. I mean, I wasn't aware that a reggaeton played such an important role or factor, particularly in the South African music market. Really? So you were seeing like a lot of reggaeton artists kind of play, being played quite a bit. Like, is this on in the restaurants is this on the beaches is this in the radio like where were you hearing this reggaeton influence particularly on mtv um rosalia actually was the first time i was properly exposed to her despite mm. you mentioning her before it's a lot of j balvin you know and various other artists but it, it's predominantly only on on cable tv Interesting. um you know the the clubs or the or the bars or the restaurants particularly in cape town tend to play techno the uh, kind of tropical house or deep house or or house music for lack of a better word mm. Interesting. I mean, uh, you know, now that we've got two kids in their 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 childhood, we don't spend much time in the clubs. So we ended up spending a lot of time in Toronto in the car, driving from place to place. And it was really interesting to me that, you know, we've kind of evolved as a family from listening to the radio and seeing what's being played on the Toronto radio to now doing our Spotify playlists and listening on the playlists and the kids asking for songs to be added to the playlist so that they can listen to them in the car just because of the commercials, right? So it was really interesting to see that kind of movement away from advertising revenue in terms of us listening in the car. And I'm wondering if that's how most people are now experiencing music in the car, is going through Spotify, turning it into a playlist, putting it in your phone, and listening it in your automobile while you're driving around as well. But this was a new experience for us. I'm glad you mentioned that because I was thinking about it. You know, I read last year that Spotify was looking at releasing that piece of hardware where essentially cars without aux cables or, or internet connectivity um, or, or USB drives for that matter could, could uh, listen to music. Um, uninterrupted. Interesting. So they're moving from like, I guess the original car audio was like the eight track and then the cassette tape and then the CD. And now you've got kind of digital radio and, and DAB and you've got like Sirius FM in the, in the North American markets and things like that. And now it seems like Spotify and others might be looking at, uh, I have a buddy actually who's working for Google on their hardware for automotive industry. And I wonder if that yeah. OS is going to actually incorporate music or have music at the front. I mean, it has to. I don't know what happened with Spotify's project, and, and maybe it will still be released. I know that they, they're working, um, they have a research team that works on, on their hardware mm. um, uh, division. The, I think the upside there, though, is that you see with socioeconomic circumstances in a variety of, of, of different economies, maybe in emerging economies more so than even developed economies, um, the nature of where you have to drive everywhere, and not everybody has a, a vehicle which has the, the capabilities to, to listen to music on the fly, there's a there's an untapped market there, and I think would be it's it's great. Or it is a great opportunity for 
for the streaming companies to really get involved. I don't know if you remember the iTrip back in 2004. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, I do. Exactly. So it's kind of like that. And to be fair, nobody's really replicated that. Sure, it was a big hack to use, um, but uh, definitely a missed opportunity and would love to see that kind of uh, expand over the next couple of, of, of months or years. It's interesting because I do think hardware is playing a really big role in kind of the streaming services and how those streaming services are getting to market, right? Like you look at Amazon kind of getting competitive with the likes of Apple and Spotify. And I'm convinced a lot of that is because people like saying Alexa play the new Rosalia track or uh, Alexa play, you know, kind of Doobie Brothers or whatever it might be, right? It's just so much easier than pulling out your phone, having your app or whatever. And even with Sonos, right, connectivity into Amazon alongside Spotify will be really interesting to see just how much hardware becomes the distribution channel for actual music through, through that channel. It's an exciting time to be alive. Indeed, indeed. What, what a time to be alive, as Drake well, well, and Future would say. Well, speaking of the actual music now, so so you know we've we've we're we're on a bit of a downer this week, but I think over the last couple of weeks there's been a lot of new music released. Of course, you've got the likes of Halsey, who's going to be on Saturday Night Live this week. Um, most of you will probably have watched it, or it'll be on YouTube by the time you listen to this. But uh, there's also a new Muramasa album, and of course. The drum roll, we got a surprise Eminem album that I know blew your mind. Uh, how are you feeling about the, the new M? That it did, it did. I must say, though, we got to also give a shout out to, to Mac Miller's posthumous album as well. You know, True. The, the, you know we had, a, had an, a stellar release week last week. It was great, wasn't it? Like, I know you and I kind of spent a lot of time digging through a lot of new music that was there. Um, you know, you kind of got exposed to, to Rosalia in South Africa. And I, another artist that I've been kind of banging the drum for is Muramasa. Uh, and his album is very different to the Muramasa ASAP Rocky track that we heard off Top Boy and things like okay. that. But it was really interesting to see him drop an album um, as well. So, you know, lots of great albums. But I think we're going to do uh, the deep dive on, on the Eminem album uh, this week. How stoked am I? For all of you who know me, uh, this is like the mecca. Um, no, for me, uh, you know, it was... It was a surprise, but at the same time, almost expected. I don't know, Farhan, if you remember, I've kind of taunted you with a bit of hints and tips over over the past couple of months regarding the album release. It all started uh, with a, a scheduled tweet back in August saying people think they want this problem until they get it. And uh, because that was automated, you know, the Reddit forums blew up and there was a lot of skepticism behind, well, is a new album going to drop? Um you know, you had a lot of other people that were part of his network that were posting kind of hints uh, through the Instagram stories and Twitter statuses. And then prior to the West Side Gun and Conway release, Eminem posted that that $1 bill with the 12 yep. and the 1 and the 13, which looked like Boner, which was like basically implying that that an album was going to drop on, on the 13th of December. And the 13th of December came and went and nothing happened. And then uh, Bizarre from D12, remember him, uh, he uh, posted a, a tweet which was deleted saying that, you know, Eminem has two weeks to finish his album before it gets released. And those two weeks went by and nothing happened. That tweet <laughs> was deleted. 50 Cent had taunted new music. So had uh, Dr. Dre and other established producers such as Fred Rec and Symbolic One. And uh, then... Um, Hits Double Daily, I think, is the is the is the is the website. Yeah, they always seem to have up to date um, insights. Insights, and, yeah, yeah, that's the word. And they said that a big artist was dropping on the seventeenth of January, which everyone thought was Mac Miller, 
And then, I mean, dude, I woke up Friday morning and I was like, what? What's this? You were, you were very giddy on that day. I remember exchanging WhatsApp messages with you and stuff. So, so let's, I mean, let's, let's take a short pause and uh, shall we dig in deep into our thoughts on, on the new album? And we'll also kind of dig into a little bit of his history, maybe a little bit of how the industry has changed uh, along that path uh, as well. Should we get to that? Let's do it. All right, Dario. Well, why don't we start with some questions around maybe or some some digging into how the album's actually performed before we go deep into the album itself. Um, what have you seen in terms of uh, streaming numbers, chart numbers? How's the album actually been received from a quantitative perspective? Sure. So the album was expected or has been expected to take the top spot, which it has. It's moved uh, 270,000 to 290,000 units. Mm with around 110 to 125,000 coming from traditional album sales. Now, remember, those are not physical copies yet. Um, it, they, they tend to take a while to put the physicals in store. Shady Records does that in order to stop or prevent leaks. Right. Now, um, you know, this, this album was a surprise release from what I can understand. Even the, the marketing promotions team that's part of Shady Records were only told, kind of made aware of it on the evening of the Thursday. Uh, to try and prevent, you know, anything affecting sales numbers, as has in the past. Forbes wrote an article actually stating that Eminem stole the spotlight from Halsey. Mm. Which, I mean, what do you think of that? You know, I, I, I think it's a very, I mean, there is definitely a Venn diagram where Halsey fans are going to listen to to Eminem. Um, but it's funny, right? Like, I mean, those units that you talked about aren't earth-shattering kind of units, right? That we've seen in the past. And I think like artists like Halsey are really going to benefit from more promotion over a more sustained period of time. And I wouldn't be surprised if Halsey does a lot more touring and a lot more shows and makes a significant amount of her revenue through that. I mean, the interesting thing with M is that he's got a huge back catalog, right? So he puts out a new album and all of a sudden people are listening to the Slim Shady LP. People are listening to, you know, kind of even Revival and some of the more new stuff, right? But he's got a huge catalog that he's able to monetize alongside the new album, as I think we've talked about in the past, where new music becomes this spark for kind of additional revenues from back catalog. Whereas an artist like Halsey, yeah, she releases an album, but doesn't have a huge back catalog. So she'll do things like the SNL appearance this week. She'll do things like going out, kind of doing videos about her, doing her makeup as I got kind of trolled into watching with my wife last <laughs> night. Um, but she does all of that because I think she's got multi-pronged kind of revenue opportunities and is trying to maximize on that. So I don't really look at kind of the Eminem album as trying to kind of suppress sales or suppress numbers of another artist. I think we have enough time and energy to listen to multiple albums, um, you know, not concurrently, but you can listen to an M track and you can listen to a Halsey track on the same playlist in a lot of cases. I think what's interesting to see is how they both kind of monetize and and end up making uh, significant revenue from alternative sources and different sources, both of them. Completely. I think something to point out though is that, um, is that more than a third of, of Halsey's album was released oh, yeah, before. prior to the album coming totally. out. So essentially you have a pop album, which is a compilation of market-tested singles, which is kind of weird because I don't want to veer off onto a separate tangent, but just to kind of wrap a loop around that, it, uh, as an album... You know, 50 Cent had this thing happen to him with Curtis in 2007 yeah. when he was competing against Kanye. Because of the leaks, a large portion of the album's released. So how many people are really going to be excited about a full album release? Mm -hmm. And they're going to start comparing market-tested singles to other tracks, which are essentially what we would like to call fillers back in the day. And 
it kind of almost creates a, a picture which might not be as strong as what it could have been if it was more of a surprise. Prior. I mean, that's an interesting take. I don't know if I necessarily agree with kind of the filler um, side of things. I mean, I think you know, going off on a, on a, and continuing down this rabbit hole of Halsey maybe a little bit. Um, <laughs> no, but we did see, I, I do think that the album's quite strong. Like, I will say that Graveyard and whatever, the other tracks that we would have heard, yeah. aren't the only kind of standout tracks on that album. I think there's a country song, there's a song that was penned by Ed Sheeran, there's a bunch of tracks on there that we hadn't heard, mixed with some of that, as you say, kind of stuff that we had already been released um, previously. But getting back to, to the Eminem side of things, you know, you were telling me some interesting data points around like how much his previous albums had sold comparatively to the numbers that we saw there. Can you tell maybe the audience a little bit about like what the history is around kind of sales on the Eminem albums? Definitely. So Music To Be Murdered By, uh, it's it secured his 10th consecutive number one spot. Now, the only Eminem album to not hit number one was the Slim Shady LP, which was his debut in 99, which is why they released the Marshall Mathers LP so quickly as a follow-up, mm. uh, which kind of set precedent for for establishing his name as, as the stadium artist that he is today. Kamikaze, well, actually on that note, you know, he he has become just the sixth act in the world with at least 10 number ones in the 64-year history of the Billboard charts. Yeah. With some some great company out there as well, right? Like who are the other artists that that kind of are, are alongside M on that list of artists with like 10 number ones? Uh, the Beatles with 19, Jay-Z with 14, Bruce Springsteen, mm -hmm. Barbara Streisand, and the legend himself, Elvis Presley. Wow. So if we compare his uh, album sales to previous albums, you know, Kamikaze, which was also a surprise release, that was the follow-up to the 2017 flop, which was a revival. Kamikaze opened up with 434,000 album equivalent units, which is, you know, over 100,000 more than, than what uh, Music To Be Murdered By is. I think maybe the slight difference or nuance could have been that because Venom, the movie, was being released and uh, he released a, a single, yeah. a lead single from that, I think it was a day prior, might have helped to prime sales a bit further. Uh, but Kamikaze was also, um, you know, gave him the, the largest amount of streams within one week uh, for, an, for an album, which was 225 million. On that note, actually, Music To Be Murdered By was the highest streamed album ever on uh, Spotify, 50.1 million streams in one day alone. Wow. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's really interesting. Like, I would love to get some insight into some of the kind of custom deals that Spotify maybe kind of has to do with artists like Eminem, because my bet is that an artist like Eminem is probably getting uh, a significant more share than an artist like Rosalia or even an up-and-coming new artist that we might not know about, and that's just starting on, on the Spotify platform. Um, and yeah, and if we go back even further, I mean, I think you were saying some interesting stuff around the dip, right? Like, weren't there albums that had like over 700,000 kind of units actually sold in some of the history around some of the previous albums and having him kind of seen how much his, you know, kind of first four albums actually shift compared to some of the later ones? Completely. So what's, what's really interesting is that Eminem's recovery gets released in 2010. You know, it's his, uh, it's his comeback album after Relapse, which I actually, I love Relapse. Yeah, you know, as a side note, Relapse, they recorded over 400 tracks for that album. Hmm. Uh, so Recovery releases, first week on the Billboard 200, sells around 741,000 wow. units. Okay, three years later, the Marshall Mathers LP2 comes out, and that, despite the fact that album sales are declining, sells 792,000 copies in its first week. All right. Now, the big dip, which is the interesting part, which I guess for most it would, would make sense, but still something to discuss, is that 
when Eminem released Revival, which was uh, four years later, he only sold 197,000 copies in its first week. Wow, that's less than a third of the amount in, in that was kind of moved or shipped in the previous album's kind of first weeks. That's a dramatic, dramatic shift. And you're right, it does kind of line up. And I guess you can kind of draw that kind of lineage to where kind of streaming really does kind of take off and becomes the dominant form of listening around that time. Completely. I think the difference here, though, is that Revival's an interesting case because when they started to promote Revival, I remember they were promoting Yellow Wolf's album Trial by Fire and uh, Paul Rosenberg held up the album and there was a billboard in the background yeah. uh, which they, they, you know, for some context, yeah, Revival was originally promoted as a, as a pharmaceutical drug uh, to cure... Um, what they termed in Latin, I don't know, uh, uh, bad, bad audio or bad listening right. or bad music or whatever you want to call it. And, um, you know, that was the, the tangent in which they were planning to market the album and Dr. Dre's involvement and people thought it was, oh, you know, they're reuniting together and this is going to be a hip hop album. And then all of a sudden, even the branding and imagery was different. Yeah. You know, things just changed, flipped on their head. And before you knew it, it was this political album about Trump. And, yeah. you know, that affected Eminem's fan base extensively, which may have also affected the numbers here. True. Uh, but the album itself, you know, they released the, the track list prior and you had this kind of almost strange setup of pop artists. And you had the ex-ambassadors and you had Alicia Keys and you had Kalani and then you pink and yeah. the album just wasn't really hip hop. And I think people going into it were expecting hip hop and all of a sudden it was a disappointment. Yeah. And I think if we draw that back to music to get murdered to, you know, kind of uh, the, the new album has, it feels more like a hip hop album. You know, that I think that was kind of the, my first comment was this felt like, you know, I mean, you had black thought, you had, you know, Yaya with, with a bunch of great artists. You had Q-tip, white gold, white gold in there. And, you know, a bunch of artists that, really kind of, it felt like um, Eminem was almost sparring with on some of those tracks. Um, even some of the newer artists, you know, Juice World, whatever else on that piece, like, you know, and you had some of classic kind of, um, you know, Skylar Grey and what, so even the appearances, although they weren't on every track, I think they were quite nuanced and quite well-placed. Um, this felt to me like a proper Eminem hip-hop album that I don't think we, we've gotten in some time. I think I really enjoyed kind of the diversity in terms of you know, the personal tracks around, um, you know, his stepdad and the relationship with his father and all of that, as well as the societal tracks, as well as the, you know, almost kind of like poking fun at society and some of the people that we know are in society as well. What did you think of the album? I thought the album was great. What what the point of departure for this album is kind of bringing things back to the Slim Shady-esque feel where horrorcore rap, which is actually that genre, which is what made Eminem popular, or what he defined in the first place, along with the likes of DMX and others, uh, is he's bringing that back into the spotlight. The, the album takes what would traditionally on paper maybe be seen as a smorgasbord of different genres and actually, to your point, Farhan, ensures that it creates a cohesive cover-to-cover -cover product that's hip-hop orientated and that takes Eminem back to the core, you yeah. know, his fundamental reason for what made him popular in the first place. I think that uh, apology letter he put out yesterday on social media is a good kind of encapsulates the, you know... The Do you want to tell people a little bit more about that apology letter and what that was? Sure. So essentially it's along the lines of, you know, uh, you can you can check it out on any of his social media profiles, but it's just basically saying that this album might not be for everybody. If it's going to offend you, then so be it. And uh, this is the the theme, you know, and, and upon which we decided to create based the album around, which is Alfred Hitchcock's 
uh, music to be murdered by. And, and so... Yeah, I mean, I think... So I have a little bit of a bone to pick with some of that. I mean, I think it's interesting that a lot of people are talking about, you know, kind of his... Um, you know, songs regarding like darkness, which is like around the Las Vegas shooting, um, as well as his own career as well. When you look at some of the lyrics, you know, it's interesting to see how he kind of wedges, you know, his own kind of battles with drugs, with guns, with alcohol and society's battles um, in those genres and, and those kind of societal ills as well. And I mean, I, I really, I wouldn't say offended, but it really kind of like almost pissed me off that people were kind of like, not looking at it as an art form that was actually making a commentary on society. I mean, that's what Eminem's been doing for all of his career, is kind of commenting on society, usually through jest, right? But the occasional song, I mean, if you look back at like Stan, I mean, that was the first, I think, song that kind of dealt with, you know, society from a stalker-ish perspective and how things get misaligned and misconstrued. And I feel like even 10 years later, people still don't understand that actually there's some really in-depth commentary on society. If you look beyond some of the jest and actually dissect some of the lyrics, he's making some really strong statements about where we are as a society. And instead of critiquing and looking at that and reflecting and saying, well, how did we get here? What can we do to be different? People are reflecting on the artist. And that really kind of annoyed me that I was like, well, here's somebody taking a chance with their art. Um, and yes, there might be some stuff that feels offensive. I mean, the whole Ariana Grande concert thing is quite personal to me because A, it happened in London. B, it was around the time that, you know, my daughter um, would be going to a concert, right? And could easily, that could have easily have been her first concert. But at the same time, I can look beyond that and say this is a really interesting commentary on where we are as a society, how we're approaching violence, how we're approaching mental illness, and what are we doing about these people, and what are we doing about our artists and our society in general. So that was kind of my feel on that. You know, Even though, yeah, there's a lot of great tracks, I, I love the Ed Sheeran track and all of that, the societal commentary is the thing that's kind of stuck with me and kind of left me thinking both about how Eminem's been treated, but how, how much maybe we've gone off path in terms of reflecting art and saying, actually, what is this trying to say? And should we have a conversation about what's happening in society that this artist is making a commentary on? I love that. And I couldn't agree more with you. I think Eminem's always been critiqued for everything. Yeah. I think if, uh, if he released what he did in the early 2000s today, oh boy. Yeah, totally. I, I mean, Twitter know. culture would eat him alive. Completely. I mean, he's already been you know, taking a fair bit of criticism just for this album release and will continue to do so. And that's not just based on his lyrics, but it's also based on the album. I mean, you read the reviews from people and it's the same old story. Totally. Kamikaze had the same thing, but guess what? It was number one in like, you know, everywhere. And it's the same old, same old. So I think he's just grown a thick skin. And, and I guess you've got to also compliment the guy for putting all of that aside and saying, well, this is what I believe in and, yeah. and, and screw you, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's interesting. I, I was watching the, the Kevin Hart um, series on Netflix and he talks a lot about this as well, about how critics slam his art, but yet the audience buys it up. Right. It'll be the number one comedy movie and he'll send roses and he'll send chocolates and he'll send, you know, kind of nice uh, gear to the people who actually trash it because it actually gets him more attention on that side as well. And I wonder if there's a little bit of that as well. The controversy maybe ups the numbers of streams as well. Yeah, for sure. You know, Darkness, which is his lead single, some people are comparing the storytelling element of that very equivalent to Stan. Yeah. Now, the thing with Darkness has actually got a, a double entendre. So there's a double meaning there. And not only, particularly if I focus on the chorus here in particular, is that 
there's this interpretation that from an from Eminem's career or point of view is that he doesn't want to lose what he's had throughout his career. You know, he's trying to recapture that magic. He faced a fair bit of criticism on revival or anything he's released yeah. post kind of encore that it's not the same. I mean, there's this theory that there's a clone out there. I mean, it was nonsense, you know. And then on a, on a personal level as well, he's he's in, at fear of being alone with his emotions, dying alone. He's never been able to sustain a relationship with yeah. with his ex-wife. Um, you know, and then there's the other side, which is Stephen Paddock, who is the yeah. who was responsible for the Las Vegas 2017 mass shooting, and the the song really opens up on raising awareness around mental illness and bottling up thoughts of committing, you know, either suicide or such an atrocity as 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 and, what happened and substance abuse as well, and all of that that kind of leads into these dark places that people go to, right? Completely, I think, and I asked you this actually. So this will be a, a live reaction video oh, here. Oh, sorry, live reaction recording. Let's see if it makes the, the final cut. The the um the music video replicates the Las Vegas massacre. And there have been news articles from families of those who were victims, as well as victims who were injured themselves, stating their almost disgust or disapproval of the music video. Uh, what is your opinion on that? I mean, you know, like I think cancel culture and some of the views around where the line is is getting blurred. Um, I, I think, you know, we shouldn't we shouldn't shut down the artist. Um, if you look back, whether it was the Vietnam War, whether it was World War One, I, I mean, we've seen 1917 um, being glamorized and being given an Oscar nomination. Very true. We've seen, um, you know, Schindler's List. We've seen uh, Quentin Tarantino's movie around World War Two you know, kind of glorifying violence uh, in that case. Now, I think the difference is in a lot of these cases, you know, decades kind of go by and we're kind of reflecting back, right? Even, you know, as far back as the Civil War, we can look back at that and now art can come in and kind of look at look at those pieces. So for me, a lot of it has to do with, I think, kind of the, the allowance of time, right? So while, you know, World War II, Vietnam War... Even, you know, some of the, the stuff that happened in the first Iraq war and all of that, a lot of time has passed since that. And I think the Vegas shooting is still quite fresh in people's minds. And I think that's the only difference I see is kind of how close it is to present day. Um, I think that that's probably the more kind of um, impactful thing is that those things are very, very fresh in our minds uh, in the same way that, you know, the Ariana Grande kind of concert event was also quite fresh in our minds. But I think at the same time, you know, we have to to kind of take the art for what it's trying to do, right? And and try to have that dialogue, as I mentioned earlier. And I think that's what, you know, and, and I don't know inside Eminem's mind, but I feel like he's trying to kind of spark that conversation and trying to make a, a mental image kind of tied into an artistic interpretation of actually, you know, I mean, the song is called Darkness, right? It's mm. not called, you know, celebrating light and celebrating gun shooting <laughs> like it's called this is a dark place that we've entered into and i feel like we have two options here we can either criticize the artist and we can go deep on you know that art shouldn't kind of look at these things or try to glamorize these things or we can have the conversation of how did we get here right what are we going to do about gun violence in america what are we going to do about access to military i mean at the same time there is a march happening in virginia where you've had hundreds of people brandishing uh, automatic assault rifles, 
AK-40s, whatever they are, you know, machine guns and all that. And I'm sorry if I get the terminology on the guns wrong, but I feel like there's more cover and there's more kind of um, discussion and almost like finger pointing at Eminem than there is at people who are marching with guns in the middle of Virginia. And that to me is just kind of a really sad painting of actually where have we gotten to in society where the artist is getting slammed and getting slammed way more and, and we're not kind of reflecting and saying, hey, what about those people? Like, why aren't we kind of actually, not necessarily pointing the finger, but why aren't we discussing how that's being allowed and what that might be, end up becoming? I mean, because I think this is an election year in the US mm-hmm. and part of me is seriously concerned about what might happen you know, should Donald Trump lose and, and all of that kind of stuff, you know, with kind of this this violence in society that's not being an artistic interpretation, but we're seeing actualized in this in this world that we're living in right now. Kind of a bummer note. So so maybe we should. No, no, no. Actually, to be fair, I mean, I fully uh, agree with you and understand your viewpoint. And I think it's something which is so difficult in today's world is like those same people that are criticizing yeah. Eminem for putting out a song which is actually raising awareness are the same people who complain about these problems. Yeah. So like you just can't win. Keyboard yeah. warriors are just overtaking totally. the world. Totally. I mean, let's 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 switch gears a little Taking bit. Taking over right? the world. <laughs> let's switch gears a little bit. Maybe talk a little bit about our history with that. Like so, you know, I mean, I remember kind of uh, Slim Shady and I remember my name is and you know, kind of a lot of my friends um, thinking, you know, that that this was almost making fun of the art form, whereas like I was quite enthralled and thought, actually, this is diversifying the art form. It feels really, really interesting. Um, it wasn't until, until many, many kind of like almost decades later where Eminem was being interviewed by LL Cool J on a recent podcast where I got kind of that linkage and, and probably why I could have, I drew those um, comparisons or why I liked that early Eminem was I kind of saw some of the same patterns, some of the same rhythm, some of the same societal messages of getting over stuff and all of that that I'd seen with early uh, LL Cool J stuff with like Bad and other records, right? So it was really interesting for me um, to see how much M's evolved from that first kind of Slim Shady uh, LP. And while, you know, I've kind of dipped in and out, right? Like I've kind of, I was a, a fan of the Slim Shady LP. I was a fan of My Name Is. I liked kind of the early work that he did with Dre up until the point where, you know, he was doing a lot more with 50 Cent. I liked kind of the D12 stuff, but then I kind of fell away. Whereas you've been consistently uh, an M, for lack of a better term, Stan. I have. Uh, Yeah. I have, totally. So funnily enough, you know, when I grew up, I used to listen to music in the car, which my father played, which was a lot of rock and roll, Guns N' Roses, Aerosmith, Def Leppard, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I was first exposed to hip-hop or Eminem by my oldest brother um, when the Slim Shady LP was first released, which was back in February 1999. Then it was Dr. Dre's 2001, and Guilty Conscience was a was a big hit, and, and forgot about Dre. And I remember actually, I mean, it's actually ridiculous. I used to have friends over to come play from preschool, and I'd play this music. Uh-huh. And I remember... I think it was Drug Ballad by Eminem where oh he talks about like, I'm on mushrooms and acid. I like, I think we were like, what, what? Eight, eight years old, nine years old? You're thinking mushrooms from like and, uh, Super Mario yeah, Brothers. And, and I don't know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, I remember like my mom being like, it's not really a good idea to do that. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I've always stuck with him. Um, you know, the, the Marshall Mathers LP, I think is really where he blew up with the real Slim Shady, as most of us would know. The the Eminem show, I remember getting that as a Christmas present, I mean, a birthday present in June 2002. I mean, that album uh, was just 
amazing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, crossing over into mainstream with Without Me, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, even my father was like, who is that? Yeah, you know, it's kind of weird. Those are people who wouldn't ever listen to this stuff. I think actually just the highlight there was Say Goodbye to Hollywood yeah. was originally um, going to be a song called Stimulate, mm -hmm. um, which is actually a bonus track on the 8 Mile soundtrack. Mm -hmm. It's a great song, but they felt that it was too similar to a lot of other tracks. They put Say Goodbye to Hollywood in instead. Um, I think... The problem was, though, that when he started to introduce 50 Cent into the world, work on the 8 Mile movie, he couldn't really keep up with everything, promotion. I mean, I remember he like shut down Times Square, I think, more than once. It's insane. And uh, eventually started using prescription drugs and sleep medication. And that was where you saw his downfall. Yeah. You know, that, that 8 Mile soundtrack, despite Lose Yourself, the rest of the songs on there that, you know, Rabbit Run and... and and Eight Mile Road, those are those are great tracks. Love Me featuring 50 Cent and Obi Trice. There some really good records on there. But I think the thing with Eminem as well is that people don't realize that when it's not a solo album, he's got fantastic features, uh, particularly during that phase, the golden era of his career, uh, as well as as soundtracks and other albums which he's put out, which such as the D12 albums or even at a later point, Bad Meets Evil. I think the encore album would have been a very different picture or story if he, if if Nate which was you know his his adopted little brother hadn't leaked the yeah. the straight from the lab EP which had songs such as monkey see monkey do and a variety of other songs which would have created bully which would have made the album a lot more cohesive tighter and i think um i mean i'll never forget it was 2004 when i was on a forum yeah i've been on them for that long um the, the track list for Encore got released and people thought it was a joke because the album got leaked and people thought like, what big weenie and songs where there's ad-libs have been vomiting. It yeah. was like, what? And people thought, oh, he's just trolling the leakers. And actually that was the album, wow. which was a very different picture to what Encore was meant to be. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely a history of Eminem taking risks, right? Like, I mean, he's probably one of the biggest kind of consistent risk takers with album messages and how they've come out to market on that side. Totally. I, I think, you know, he, he took the hiatus yeah. for, for what, four years? Well, he released the re-up when he had signed a Bobby Creek Water, Stat Quo and Cashes, um, to Shady Records. And, and during that time put the re-up out because he felt that that was meant to be mixtape content, but it was too good. Um, during that time was very quiet. I think Smack That with, with Akron oh, yeah, was kind yeah. of the only real feature he really did, uh, sprinkled amongst some others, which wouldn't really be so mainstream. The, the return of Eminem really with Relapse uh, to that in 2009 was, was, is, is actually very interesting from a turning point point of view because it, it received a fair bit of criticism because of the accents. It was horrorcore to the core. I mean, some of the lines on there are insane. It's my favorite album, actually. And, um, you know, they recorded, as I mentioned to you earlier, around 400 tracks for it. It was meant to be a two, two, two part or two albums, Relapse 1 and Relapse 2. And uh, it received a fair bit of criticism for, for the fact that it didn't re-spark the magic that was Eminem mm -hmm. prior to his kind of rehab period. But you also forget that this was the guy who lost all of his motor skills and was about, it was about two hours away from dying. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, I think definitely Eminem has probably been the artist probably who's had the biggest dips, the biggest low or the deepest lows and the highest highs and has still kind of consistently, at least semi-consistently put out great music and has had like a really interesting kind of music 
related career. It's interesting to see other artists who've probably been around um, a similar amount of time um, having kind of leaned quite heavily on other artists, whether it's Jay-Z kind of leaning on Kanye, whether it's you know kind of other artists like Will Smith really kind of relying on his uh, movie career and focusing on that. I mean, I can't think of another artist who's consistently put out good music you know, from as far back other than Jay-Z. You know, I think that would be kind of my only kind of comparison. And Jay-Z even has moved into that production, Def Jam, record exec side of things, you know, kind of being Mr. Bay rather than necessarily on his own making the kind of music that we're seeing kind of Eminem experiment, take risks, you know, kind of really telling his story and looking at society and making those kind of deep cuts as well. And I think you have to kind of take your hat off um, to Eminem and, and, you know, kind of admire the career, admire the risks, admire the work that he's actually put in to this record and to his career. Completely. And I think you need to take each album uh, for what it is. Mm. You can't always, I mean, take a sports, sportsman or sportswoman, like they can't always perform at their best. So the fact that you're able to, to put that creative content out there, out there um, it needs to be appreciated for, for, for that album and, and, and what it represents. Now, I think recovery was an interesting turning point for him, which is what's made things quite difficult in the second phase of his career, but music to be murdered by brings that back. Yeah. Now, recovery was this, you know, they chucked, they threw all the relapse content out the window. You know, he had worked with Dr. Dre on that. The production on that album's amazing. Recovery comes out, very pop-orientated. Rihanna, smash hit, smash hit. Pink, smash hit. The Wayne, smash hit. The list goes on. Uh, then trying to trying to recapture that magic, kind of clickbaits everyone into the Marshall Mathers LP two, which when he started working with Rick Rubin, which many believe is actually kind of led to maybe his downfall to some degree because of this rock rap mashup yeah. that he was trying to replicate. And uh, Marshall Mathers LP two comes out now. Sure, you know the numbers were better. I think it did about eighty thousand more units from what I from what I mentioned earlier, seventy to eighty thousand. The the difference here is that you're you're you've got to manage expectations accordingly. And it's just so different to the Marshall Mathers LP1. And uh, then he started doing Call of Duty, promotional singles. And I think that was why we saw this, again, the second hiatus from him after the MMLP2 got released. Now, remember, as was a recovering addict, so there probably are some other complications behind that too. And uh, with, with Revival, kind of, as I mentioned earlier, like flopping the way that it did, he was trying to... Give all of his fans a bit of everything. It's a bit of relapse, a bit of, bit of recovery, a bit of this, a bit of that. But the whole nature of the album felt very um, recovery-esque, which became outdated. And, and I'm, I'm sure you've heard, like, if you go onto Spotify and you listen to the 2010s, yeah. um, uh, 2010 years playlist, like, those songs, they're great. But it, the production back then was a very, very different thing to, totally. to today. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Like, I mean, I think, you know, Eminem's kind of bridged that production. It was really interesting to see Juice World on the latest kind of LP, even though, you know, like whether it was because it's posthumous and whether, you know, kind of leveraging some of the the buzz around that that genre, or if it's actually, you know, somebody who can kind of bridge and kind of rap with uh, Eminem, you know, I mean, I think we've seen, you know, M was on the last Ed Sheeran album and Ed Sheeran makes a, a spot on this album as well. And then, so you have somebody like Royce, right? Who's kind of been with M since day zero and still is on that side now. And then you've got new artists, as well as kind of artists that you wouldn't traditionally think of as collaborating with Eminem. Like, if you had told me, you know, last year that Black Thought was going to be on this Eminem album, I would have said, you're smoking something. There's no freaking way. But yet to see Black Thought and to see that kind of different album 
you know, different track on the album was really, really interesting to me. And on that note, I'm kind of curious. Um, you know, I said when I saw this album, when I heard this album, that I could see him kind of hanging it up now. Like he's built something. He's got three decades worth of music. You know, he's gone through his ups and downs and he's almost like coming back and showing he can still do it at this point. It'll be interesting to see where his career goes from here. If it does, you know, if he says, okay, I've done it. I've kind of, I don't need this anymore. Or he continues to do new music. What are your thoughts? Do you think we'll see another Eminem album? Well, I was thinking about this yesterday, actually. You know, after MMLP2 got released in 2013, people thought, I remember, I think actually Sway Calloway asked him the question, like, is it time to retire? Well, it's been, well, now seven seven years years. since then, or six and a half, probably since the album release. He's 47 years old. I mean, this is like a second coming for him. Yeah. It's like, or maybe third for that matter. But I, I, I honestly believe that if he were to put out more material, it'll probably be way better than the stuff before because he's kind of found his mix. And, and on that note, if you think about it, peop, produ- producers such as editor-producer Fredrick, Symbolic One, you had an artist such as 50 Cent. They all said that Eminem was recording yeah. and that Eminem had sent them tracks, but not one of them feature on this current album. Yeah, and whether that's because, you know, Eminem kind of didn't think the tracks kind of fit with the Alfred Hitchcock-esque kind of theme, sure. um, or whether it's like Eminem's going to do more music and drop another album, I think that's kind of a wait and see kind of at this point. And I think that's that's probably a good place um, to kind of leave it. I mean, I think we're, we're, we'll look and see kind of what else kind of happens in Eminem's career, but you have to kind of look back and admire the work he's put in, the artists he's worked with, and how he's battled back from some very dark places to kind of rise above and continue to make music. Completely. I think one one final comment on that is it seems like he's finally found his production team. Royce produced two tracks for the album. Skylar Gray produced a track for the album. He's working with Dr. Dre, who has his team with Dewan Parker, Lawrence Jr., Dem Joints, and Eric Griggs. And uh, I feel like because he's found his tribe and this formula has worked so well, let's see what happens in the future. So Dario, other than the Eminem album, um, what's been playing? What's some of the new stuff that maybe you're listening to or or uh, or what's captured kind of some of your attention? I'll say for me, uh, I've been listening to the Halsey album um, alongside the Eminem album. Uh, and as I mentioned previously, the new Muramasa album as well. Uh, I was interested. I saw on new music this week that uh, Calvin Harrison has uh, released new music as well as I saw a new Pearl Jam track um, that was quite interesting. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's got a lot more 80s kind of synth to it than I would have expected. Um, from a Pearl Jam track. Uh, so so that was interesting in this week's New Music Friday to see that. Um, I've been spending a lot of time as well with Stormzy. Uh, Stormzy and that Ed Sheeran and Burna Boy track, um, as well as his whole album, actually, Heavy to Wear the Crown, uh, Heavy Who Wears the Crown. I think it's a really, really interesting um, album. Um, I also saw some new uh, music from um, some other kind of grime artists. I know H... Is, is is hanging around and, and making new music, as well as I saw a track from Dizzy Rascal uh, this week as well. So so Dizzy, kind of one of the originators and one of the, the most kind of profound kind of grime artists, uh, I think is kind of looking at some of the success that Stormzy and others are having and maybe thinking about kind of like making new music as well. So it'll be interesting to see if we see more music from, from people like Dizzy this year. Trying to recapture the flame. Uh, for me, really... I've just been listening to music to be murdered by. I don't think I'm going to get over that album. I'll probably learn every lyric just coincidentally because I listen to it too much. Um, I have listened to Halsey's Manic. You know, I was really looking forward to that album. I don't think it has enough replay value for me just to listen to on a, like a chilled basis. Mm-hmm. A little bit too deep in that regard. 
I've been listening to Jack Boys quite a bit, particularly back in South Africa. Uh, it was great to see that he put Rosalia on the highest in the room. The the album which I really like, and I don't think you've listened to it, is 1992 by The Game, where he's taken old school hip hop beats and and rapped over them and put some awesome tracks together. It's like that hard West Coast gangster rap, which uh, Born to Rap really didn't capture. And uh, so so that's been pretty epic. I listened to Mac Miller's album. And it didn't really, I don't know, it's just for me, it's not really my vibe. It's a bit too kind of chilled. Um, but, you know, everyone has different taste. I guess something to, to point out is that Little Wayne announced that he's releasing a new album on the 31st of January called The Funeral. I believe the first track from that album was released already. They probably are not going to use that as the lead single and probably would have just put it down to a throwaway, but that was called Gimme Brain with Travis Barker and Rick Ross. Yeah, and I think we're going to see some new music this year from um, Bieber. Bieber's got his new track, Yummy. The Biebs. The Biebs uh, Sounds just like Hotline Bling, actually. It does, yeah. And, uh, you know, there's, so there's our Canadian content uh, for this week's episode with The Biebs. Um, yeah, and, and you, as you mentioned, kind of a lot of Hotline Bling type influences um, in there. It'll be interesting to see what his album um, is like, and, and I think we're going to expect a new Kendrick album uh, this year as well, right? Yeah, because he's performing, he's headlining the BTS Hyde Park Festival um, in, on July 5th, I believe, with uh, one of the singers from Alabama Shakes mm. and with James Blake. So rumor has it that Kendrick's new album is going to be rock-infused, which will be very interesting considering, you know, Eminem did it with Rick Rubin. It didn't really kind of capture the magic. So let's wait and see. But we're also expecting albums from... Another Canadian by the name of Drake. Yep. Let's hope he doesn't uh, take over Spotify like he did <laughs> the last time. J. Cole. Yeah. There's this rumor of Dr. Dre putting something out there. Um, it wouldn't be any year without a rumor of a Dre album. Very true. What, it's been like 20 years since Go Detox? On. Anyway, my theory still stands. If you want to know what that is, listen to episode one. Um, I think it's interesting. We'll also see some some great soundtracks. Uh, one of the things that I did listen to this week on the New Music Friday playlist uh, was part of the Sonic the Hedgehog movie soundtrack. You had a new Wiz Khalifa track ah. uh, on there. And I think with uh, Ritmo out of the Bad Boys for Life soundtrack, I mean, the, the original Bad Boys had, you know, one of the best kind of R&B, hip-hop kind of like first soundtracks. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if if this also kind of does that pop, hip-hop, R&B kind of crossover with Bad Boys for Life coming out this month. Well, the Black Eyed Peas finally got their mix right without Fergie. They've yeah. released albums, they've released songs. No one really yeah, cares totally. that much, but Ritmo seems to work. Totally. I mean, I think it's that, that kind of tying over some pop artists uh, alongside the Black Eyed Peas does, does kind of give it some good flavor. To be fair, that sample, uh, yeah. many people have tried to use it. It hasn't worked. So. True. The Rhythm of the Night, I mean, it, it kind of gave me flashbacks to the 90s. So, <laughs> so that was great um, for me. But yeah, I mean, it's been an interesting start to the year. And, and hopefully we'll see lots of great music this year uh, as we start season two of, uh, of Middle School Music. Um, and we're looking forward to, to bringing everybody on the ride. 100%. So we are going to put a playlist out yeah. of Eminem's top songs from the second half of his career. And uh, so stay tuned for that. And uh, we look forward to taking you on a journey as we uh, unveil the plans we have for season two this year. Indeed, indeed. So thanks for listening, everybody. And this has been another episode of Middle School Music. You can find us on Twitter at MDLSKL underscore music. You can find me on Twitter at Farhan Lalji. Dario, where can the good listeners find you? You can find me on Twitter on at Dario underscore Devet with a W. 
Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week, hopefully. Can I listen to your podcast?